Uh, today's scripture reading comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 4, verse 28 through chapter 5, 23. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us go on a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you. You must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. That's the reading of God's word. Good afternoon. I want to thank you for inviting uh, me and my family to worship with you today. Um, as they mentioned, I think the last time I was here was like four or five years ago. So thank you for inviting us again. I was very encouraging to hear that Pastor Francis has been blessed with the time of sabbatical, and I trust that it's a time of refreshing for him and his family. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Let's go before the Lord. Father, we've come to the portion of worship where we open your word. 
And I pray that we much more open our hearts, our ears, and we ask for your spirit to help us understand the things that have been written down for our good, for our edification, for your glory. Lord, remind us that this right, ta- this right now is, is not human words, but it's your word. And so, Lord, speak for your children are here and listening. Encourage us, embrace us, grow us. May we just behold the majesty of Christ today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. I usually start my sermon with a story. Uh, Perhaps you heard the story, but the story goes like this. It's a story about an elderly woman who walked into a church. The friendly usher greeted her, and he helped her up the flight of stairs, and he politely asked her, ma'am, where do you want to sit? And she answered, the front row, please. The usher says, oh, no, you don't want to do that. The pastor is really boring. And the old lady said, do you know who I am? He said, no. I'm the pastor's mother, she said furiously. He said, well, do you know who I am? She said, no. He said, good. And then he ran away. Now, I share that little story because this question is at the heart of this passage. Do you know who God is? It's a question that Pharaoh has to answer. But it's not merely a question for Pharaoh. It's actually a question for the Israelites. You see, we see a group of people whose situation goes from bad to worse. A people whose lives are already miserable becomes unbearable because of the oppression of Pharaoh. But I would argue that the worst part of the story is the Israelites responded as if they had forgotten about God. They forgot who God was, who God is. They forgot whose they were. Not completely. I'm sure they acknowledged him, but I want to make a case that their true God was their convenience, their comfort, their security. Can we relate to this? Isn't this often our struggle on a daily basis? Is God just a means to your convenience? Does God exist for your needs, for the things you want? Or or let me ask it this way. When you cry out to God, why are you crying out to him? Because you see, the word of God reminds us today that the true worshiper cries out to God, not primarily for guidance, not primarily for freedom, but they cry out for God to be their master that whatever comes their way. Now, when we hear that word master, it has a negative connotation. When we think of master, the word associated to that is slave. There's a a knee-jerk reaction against that word. But what we're going to see is that having God as our master is really the best thing for us. And so here's the gospel truth for us today, the one-sentence summary. The true believer cries out to God not primarily for freedom, but they cry out for God to be their master. And I've divided this sermon into three points. The rescue in order to worship, the struggle of worship, and the worship in order to rescue. Let's start with the first point, the rescue in order to worship. I want to give you a little context by summing up what happens at the end of chapter 2. The slavery, the oppression in Egypt was so unbearable that God in his compassion responds to the groaning and cries of Israel. And so God sets a, a plan in motion to save his people from slavery. 
God would save his people through his servant Moses. And so in chapters 3 and 4, we see God appearing to Moses and preparing him to go to Egypt to rescue his people. Now, if you grew up in the church, I'm sure the story is familiar. We know that Moses was hesitant. He's doubtful. But in the end, he obeys, and he goes. And at the end of chapter 4, we read this part for uh, our scripture reading. In verse 29 and following, we read this. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. What we have here is a beautiful picture of God's people receiving and believing the good news of salvation. And they what? They worshipped. Salvation is near, finally. This is the moment they've been waiting for. Praise God. Hallelujah. And so Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh. Moses is God's prophet. He's his mouthpiece. He's speaking as God's representative. So in fact, it's the Lord who's saying, I am the God of Israel, and you, Pharaoh, need to let my people go. My people have been oppressed. My people have endured unjust suffering. My people have been serving the wrong master. And so, Jerner, what we see here is something so powerful. He's saying, this group of people that you think serves you, they actually belong to me. Do you see what's going on here? God has come, and he's claiming his people. He's defining who his people are. And I wonder how many of us can reciprocate that by defining who your God is. Can you do that? If your unbelieving friend were to ask you, who is the God that you worship? Do you have an answer? Are you prepared to answer that question? Can you accurately define who your God is? Who is your God that you sing to? Who is your God that you pray to? Who is your God that you ask forgiveness from? And Pharaoh is asking the same exact question in verse 2. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Back when I was in high school, I almost got into a fight. I've never fought anyone before, but there was this one time I almost did. And long story short, I was an upperclassman. I was a senior at the time. This other guy, this other kid, was an underclassman. And we both had finished gym class. And he bumped into me, causing me to bump into my locker pretty hard. Now, I see a lot of youth group students in here. You should walk away every time, okay? Just ignore it, forgive him. That's the right thing to do every single time. Is that what I did? No, of course not. I don't know if he bumped into me on purpose or accidentally, but all my friends saw it, and I felt like, I had to do something. So I started walking towards him, yelling at him, and I wasn't really going to fight. I just wanted to intimidate him, send him a message. You can't mess with me. But as I approached him, he picked up his tennis racket. He looked at me like he's going to swing. And so I did something very foolish. I stared him down, and I said, do it. I dare you. You don't have the guts Deep down inside, I was saying, please don't do it. Please don't hit me. And what happened was actually pretty anticlimactic. He dropped the racket, and he walked away. He was a bigger man that day. Now, the story doesn't sound like a big whoop, 
But what I failed to realize at the time was that I wasn't just messing with any underclassmen. As soon as the fight was over, my friend rushes to my side. He says, Dave, you shouldn't have done that. So what do you mean? I would have destroyed him. Yeah, but do you know who his father is? I said, I don't care who his father is. He said, his father is a judge. I said, so what? He's not just any judge. He's the superior court judge. I said, so? He's not just a superior court judge of New Jersey. He's the Supreme Court judge of the United States. You know who that was? That underclassman was Phil Alito, as in he's the son of the Supreme Court judge, Justice Sam Alito. This guy's dad was the highest judge in America, and I probably could have been deported or you know, been in serious trouble. Clearly, I was messing with the wrong dude. But looking back, if I were to go back to that day, I wish when my friend said, do you know who his father is? His father is Justice Alito, Supreme Court Judge of the United States. When he said that, I wish I had the theological maturity to have said, yeah, but do you know who my father is? The Lord God, judge of all creation, dropped the mic and walked out the ring. I wish I had the, the maturity to have said that. You know, maybe this is why the once feeble and hesitant Moses now has the audacity to stand up against the most powerful man on the earth. Perhaps Moses finally be is beginning to understand. Perhaps he's finally convinced of who God is. What's that understanding? It's not the fact that God is powerful, though he is, because Pharaoh is going to see God's power firsthand and refuses to worship him. It's not the fact that God is the ultimate judge, though he is, because Pharaoh is going to witness God's judgment of his firstborn, and he still refuses to worship him. What is the understanding that Moses has that Pharaoh doesn't? What is the understanding that the believer has that the unbeliever doesn't? Here's the difference. Pharaoh can only have a relationship with God as judge. You see, all of us in this room, we're going to have to give an account to the Lord one day as judge. But for those whom God has adopted as sons and daughters, we have the privilege now of approaching him not as judge, but as father. Now, there's a pastor, author, who once said, the notion that we are children of God, his own sons and daughters, lies at the heart of all Christian theology and is the mainspring of all Christian living. In other words, the way we view God and ourselves affects our day-to-day. -day. It affects our worship. Because it's only when we see our status as God's adopted children, as his sons and daughters, we understand the heart of God, our Father. You want to have an authentic relationship with God? Then you have to start here. We must know him as Father. God is not a tyrant like Pharaoh. God is not some distant God who's just waiting for us to mess up so he can smite us. No, 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 no. If we really carefully read scripture, we see a compassionate God, a merciful God, a God who is slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who reaches out to the lost and broken. We see the Father's heart. And when we see his heart, why wouldn't you want to go and celebrate who he is? Why wouldn't you want to throw your father a feast? And that's exactly what Moses is asking of Pharaoh. Let the people of God go so they could hold a feast for him in the wilderness. We want to worship him. We want to celebrate him. Let us go so we could do that. And so we need to pause and reflect on this. 
I wonder how many of us came into this worship service this afternoon wanting to celebrate the Father. How many of us worshiped with the correct understanding of who God is? Because worship shouldn't be a chore. Worship isn't something we do or give primarily. We worship in response to who he is and what he's done. And so it is, or at least it's supposed to be, a celebration. We who were once in darkness now walking in marvelous light. We who were once blind, we're we're now seeing. We who were once lame, we're now walking. We who were once chasing the things that led to death now are walking in the Spirit. Isn't this why we gather on Sundays? Is not worship the proper response to the gospel? And yet, it's easier said than done. Wouldn't you expect someone who was dead, someone who had no right, someone who was broken, someone like this who was revived by the Father to run to his presence, someone who has experienced disgrace to fall at his feet? And yet, if we are honest with ourselves, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoons, isn't something we cherish. It often feels like a chore. It's not something we're delighted to do. It often feels like a duty. We're not running to celebrate our Father. No, we're often dragging our feet to worship. Sometimes our worship feels like a funeral rather than a feast. We act like we're doing God a favor by showing up. There are many weeks, many days where the worship of God, the celebration of the Father is not priority in our lives. It's not. If we're truthful with ourselves, it is a struggle. There's a war within our hearts. We're going to see why under our next point, the struggle of worship. After Moses and Aaron make their requests before Pharaoh, he doesn't respond in a way that Moses and Aaron had hoped for. And Moses and Aaron are caught off guard. But they shouldn't have been surprised because just in the preceding chapter, God says to Moses that he is going to Pharaoh, uh, um, harden Pharaoh's heart. And so when Pharaoh objects, when he refuses, the leaders of Israel shouldn't have been surprised. Things were going according to plan. The elders of Israel should have reassured their people, guys, don't worry, don't panic. God's got this. God hasn't deserted us. God hasn't forgotten about us. All going according to plan. So the confusion isn't with God. No, the confusion is with the people. And we're left with this question. Why did Israel collapse so easily? Why did they give in so easily? I want to propose to you three reasons. First and the most obvious reason was the physical reason. Just when things seem as as bad as they could be, Pharaoh makes them worse. They have to work harder than ever. The Israelites were utterly desperate, facing impossible demands. And they were getting whipped, failing to meet these demands. Think about the physical torture. They're working in temperatures well over 100 degrees in that hot Egyptian sun. They didn't have proper protection. They didn't have proper hydration. Many of them died because of this. The conditions were excruciatingly unbearable, and they had to meet an unreasonable quota, bricks without straw. Understandably, Israel is angry that they have to work themselves to death because of the predicament Moses put them in. They couldn't meet this physical demand of Pharaoh. 
But I want to point out there's a bigger problem here. Yes, it was a problem they had to work under these horrible conditions, but I want us to see that the bigger problem here is not a physical one, but a spiritual one. Now, I shared earlier how I never got into a physical fight. There was that one time in high school that I almost did. But that doesn't mean I never had a verbal fight. And if I could be vulnerable with you, and I got permission from my wife to, to share the story, one of the worst arguments that we ever had um, was a few years back. I remember it was a Sunday after Thanksgiving. I had a long week. It was a tiring day at church. I was exhausted. And I get home, and she wants to put up the Christmas tree. I said, fine. Okay. But she didn't just want to put up the Christmas tree. She wanted to rearrange the whole house so it looked pretty for the gram. Dave, move the couch here. No, move it back. I don't, weigh the, I don't like how the weight looks. Let's just move it back. Move the dining table. No, a little bit this way, a little bit that way. She was just barking orders. She was impatient. I was impatient. And I just lost it. I snapped. I said some things I shouldn't have said. I told her to stop posting on Instagram. I told her to stop watching HGTV. Just wasn't a good day. Now, I share that because that night, I didn't feel like a husband. I felt like a slave. My wife was a slave master. Now, why did I snap at my wife? All the husbands are like nodding, yes, same. Was it the fact that I was being treated like a slave? Partially. But looking back, I realized that the reason I got so irritated was not because I couldn't watch football or just kick back. It was not because I was being treated so unfairly. No, it, it interfered with my comfort. Or let me put it this way. Nothing my wife said or did interfered with the kingdom of God. It interfered with the kingdom of Dave. I just want to rest, just watch football. My primary concern was me. And we see the same thing with the Israelites in today's text. Verse 15, the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? I want you to pay very careful attention to the text. Nowhere does it say that Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why aren't you letting us go so that we could worship God? Pharaoh, we're so fed up with you. We're so angry at you because you're making us work instead of allowing us to go worship God. We don't see that in our text. God isn't even in the picture. You see, both Israel and I weren't outraged because of the worship of God was in jeopardy. We were outraged because of our own comfort. The worship of self was being threatened. Yes, Israel's physical problem was atrocious. But the bigger problem was that the God who promised to rescue Israel wasn't even acknowledged. But there's one more problem I see in today's text. And I think this one is the saddest of them all. Israel was looking to the wrong master. In other words, Israel was looking for salvation in the wrong place. Look at verse 15 again. Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? They came and cried out to Pharaoh. You know, when I first read this, it didn't make sense to me. Why would they cry out to Pharaoh? Why would they cry out to the one who was oppressing them, to the one who was suppressing them? Why would they cry out to the one that was making their lives miserable. Shouldn't Israel have cried out to God? But here we see that they cry out to Pharaoh. And if you think about it, of course they cried out to Pharaoh. You see, sadly, Israelites did not know life outside of slavery. 
this is what they had been accustomed to their entire lives. And so naturally, they thought that by appeasing Pharaoh, they could find salvation. But what they fail to realize is that they cannot please their master. Their, mas- they, their master cannot be their savior. Why? Because a master is someone who always demands more and more and more from you. That's exactly what we see in today's text. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. You see, what Israel needs or needed was a savior who will rescue them out of slavery. The same is true for us today. We need someone to rescue us, not out of the hands of Pharaoh, but I want to make the case that we have a harsher taskmaster than Pharaoh. Sin. Sin is the harshest of taskmasters. I wonder how many of us return to the same sin over and over again, trying to negotiate with it, renegotiate with it, trying to appease it, trying to please it. I want us to come to the realization that there is no such thing as pleasing sin. Like Pharaoh, sin will always demand more and more from us while giving less and less to us. Unlike Pharaoh, who demands more and more, what you and I need, what Israel needed, was a Savior who gives more and more of himself. This leads us to our third final point, the worship in order to rescue. Now, if we continue to read the Exodus account, we learn that God is faithful to his promise. He will one day deliver his people. He is faithful to the covenantal promise. Moses will be that Savior who leads his people out of slavery. But I want you to notice that salvation is not just freedom from slavery. The whole purpose of Israel's emancipation is so that they could worship and celebrate the Father. And so if you continue reading the Exodus account, we learn that Israel terribly fails. They forget about God. Israel, God's firstborn son, ends up failing in every single way. When they should have been celebrating God, they celebrate and whore after false gods. So, Journey, I want to pause here and I want us to reflect on this in our own lives. Does your life revolve around the celebration, the worship of who your father is and what he's done for you? As you look into your own heart, what false gods are you celebrating? As you look back at this past week, what false gods did you try to negotiate with? In what ways have you failed to worship God the Father? We're just like Israel. You see, Israel not only needed a Savior who could rescue them for their physical slavery, but they, as do we, need a Savior who could rescue us from our spiritual slavery. And as great as Moses was, he could never be that Savior. Church, the great news for us today is that we have a Father who was committed to, we have a Father who was committed to Israel back then, but he's also committed to the church today. But we need to be careful that we don't make the same mistake. We don't begin by thinking of ways to save ourselves. We must not cry out to masters who cannot save us. We must not even begin by looking for freedom. But we must begin by looking for the right master. We begin by looking at the true Israel, Jesus Christ. You see, unlike Israel who fails to worship God in every way, we see Jesus Christ, God's perfect son, Worship God, celebrate the Father every single moment of his life. 
the entirety of his life was worship, worship, worship of the Father. And towards the end of Christ's earthly life, we see Jesus in the ultimate act of worship. He goes to the sinner's cross, dying a sinner's death, the most unbearable condition. And on the cross, we see Christ taking on our sins. We see his worship, his obedience to the Father's will, even obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because of Christ's obedience, we who place our trust in him, we have the right, we have the privilege of crying out, Abba, Father. And church, I want to remind you today that no other gods will die for you. Our God is the only God that bled for you. All these other gods will take and take from you. But in Christ, we have a master who doesn't demand, a master who doesn't take, a master who tells us to lay our burdens down, a master who gives and gives to you, a master who gives himself to you. As we reflect on the person and work of the gospel, may our hearts be drawn to submit and serve the true master, the true savior, Jesus Christ. May the gospel of Jesus Christ be your hope of salvation, not just today, but every day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is everlasting. And we thank you that you are still committed to your people today. And Lord, you show us your heart. You show us your commitment your son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again so that we may belong to you, being welcomed by you, not just as guests, not just as servants, but as your adopted children. And Lord, I pray that we reflect on that truth every waking moment, that we realize who we are and whose we are, that we belong to the king, that we have a right to sit at your table, that we have a new life, that we have the spirit inside us that helps us, leads us, comforts us, encourages us. So Lord, thank you for this living hope. Thank you for this hope of salvation. Thank you that we can now, we now have the power to say no to the things that enslave us or used to enslave us. And now we could live this new life, having our eyes fixed upon the personal work of Jesus Christ. To him belongs all glory, honor, and praise forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray.